Damon. Jeremy, how are you? I am fresh and bright and full of energy. It was so overcast and foggy, like couldn't see past your own nose. And now it is bright and clear and sunny and the snow is turning to slush. And I'm not sure if I love slush, but I love the sun. It's so great. (laughs) (laughs) That's nice to hear. I, I really can't believe how much the sun affects my mood. It's one of my favorite stars. (laughs) (laughs) Whether we care to admit it or not, I'm willing to bet it's probably everyone's favorite star. Yeah. You can put another one ahead of it in line, but put your thumb over the sun sun in your life and it'll be a short one. It's It's like the old craggy, crotchety wisdom of like, are you having a bad day? Well, just try skipping a few. (laughs) (laughs) Good luck feeding your cells without that star. Exactly. I want to talk to you about this concept that relates to energy that I know very little about. I'm trying to experience I don't even know if it exists. Usually there's (laughs) experience or expertise or science. One of those three for one of the two of us behind what we talk about. And in this case, I'm going to go to the pretty far end of my own diving board. And I'm curious for you. I want to talk to you about energy body, the energy body. And by that, I mean the source of energy inside us. And I mean energy less in the sense of I can run and burn calories and carbohydrates and more of a source of life and connection with with all existence. Are you familiar with this term energy body? Do you have experience in it? Do you know any science about it or how deep are we going to go to begin with? I'm definitely familiar with the term and I am unfamiliar with any science uh, about it. But on a personal level, I have practiced Reiki and have gone through some basic level practitioner programs around Reiki and feel like uh, just experientially that I have some familiarity with the energy body. But as you can imagine, in my profession, it's pretty quick to go off the rails in terms of commanding respect and for at the risk of sounding a little woo-woo. I, that, that's, that's something that I think people who have made a living within the, the scientific, the capacities of science, are still potentially not that comfortable going there. Well, let's try to have it both ways. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We can be ignorant, skeptical, interested, and experiential. Usually, if I didn't know something about a topic and I didn't think you knew, I'd pull on a subject matter expert. 
but because of that skepticism, I wouldn't know how to vet. So let's start with our own experiences and see where we go from there and see how much we believe by the end of this episode and listeners can do the same. Sound good? That sounds great. So for those who don't know, what is Reiki and what are your experiences in it? Reiki is a healing modality and and I'm you know, I'm, I'm not going to speak from a place of expertise with it, but it is a way to practice, in a sense, being a conduit for energy and simply in the practice of Reiki, in one model, laying your hands upon another person in specific ways and allowing that energy to flow through you as a way to stimulate and maybe even investigate if there are any energy blockages in this, let's just call this person a client, because there's just this unlimited source of energy that exists. And in a way, you're almost getting out of your own way to allow yourself to be a conduit to have that energy flow through you. And there's also, this is where it's a little harder to square. There are practitioners that do Reiki from distance. So merely uh, setting intention around this energy field to set your attention and intention towards another human or animal or whatever has in many experiential ways been an effective way to use that modality as well. Did you say that you had been trained as a novice, but as a novice practitioner, someone able to practice this on others or on yourself? Or did you say you had seen practitioners? So my experience is that when I first moved to San Francisco around 2000, I took a weekend workshop in Reiki to understand it and to practice the practice. And fast forward to last year, my brother-in-law happens to be a Reiki master Reiki practitioner. And he put myself and and our aunt through a Reiki one workshop. So I guess as it goes in terms of checking boxes, I have a certified in Reiki one. Excellent. You're a a yellow belt or something like that. <laughs> yes. Does it relate to the concept of chakras? The idea that there are these seven-ish centers in the human body that energy comes in or out or can be blocked, or is that related but not totally connected field of, of energy work? It does relate to energy centers within the body, otherwise known as chakras. And again, I'm gonna I'm going to demonstrate my lack of knowledge, but my understanding is that Reiki is more of a a, a Chinese modality and chakras originated more through the, the Hindu Indian practices. And so I don't think that they're they're the terminology is the same. But the certainly the the understanding of having these centers within our body is 
is similar. Going to experience. I guess I'll share some of my experience and then we can flip to yours. Does that work for you? Mm -hmm. So I think one really basic way to understand this, or I should say experience it, is through your hands. Mm. Put your hands in front of you and can you feel energy from within your hands? Are you asking and, me to cup them or are you uh, asking them to, are we touching hands together? You could do that, but I'm thinking in this case, just putting one hand out there, you could put the other one out there. They can be unrelated to each other. Mm -hmm. And just, do you feel, you know, presumably your hand's not touching something. There's obviously air. Do you feel something from within your hand? Nevertheless. I I do this and I definitely do. I feel a radiant warmth if I cup my hands and even playing the air accordion. I can I can have my hands move even farther apart and really feel a pulsation, a radiance that seems to be hitting both of my palms. So I'm doing that now. I'm feeling that too. I don't think it's just the power of suggestion. I don't know how to describe it or what it means, but it is something that we can all experience. And hands are the most accessible in my experience, but I find the heels of the foot, the lower hands, if you will, mm -hmm. are also extraordinary at it. I said heels, but I just meant the sole of the foot. Uh, and the foot and the toes and so forth. And then you can keep working and find a similar internal sensation, energy, call it what you will, in your thighs, in your calves, in your biceps, in your abdomen, the skin of the head. Even the hairs, you can be in touch with those. And this is important because I won't say it's undiscovered country, but it's often really unexplored country. Mm. We've talked in a previous show about these dimensions of existence and the thinking mind, which is so focused on the past and the future. And the sensory body, which is taste, touch, sight, smell and sound and how present-based that is. And the thing though about the senses is they're about sensing the external world mm. so often, the world outside of us. And what is it? Is it hot or cold out? Is it, you know, so smell good or bad? What are the sounds that I'm hearing? But meanwhile, there is a whole universe that is just as rich and dense and complex as we know inside of us. That's very rarely explored, even in that sensory realm. And maybe this is a variant of touch. I'm not saying it isn't. Obviously, if you bang your foot, you're going to feel it from your foot. <laughs> I don't know if that's the object you're feeling in a reverberation or your foot itself. But even in the absence of banging or stabbing, just being, 
there is this rich sensory life that I guess comes from the inside out. And I've been thinking of that in this energy body terminology. Does that make sense to you? It does make sense, yeah. Is there a practice that you do along these lines? You said it's something you do. So I'll get a little bit more into what I do. I started with the hands and some of the early experiences. What does this get you doing this? <laughs> but I guess I'll start, put it back to you. What what do you do either as a regular practice or some of these experiences that someone could do on their own? Well, I have a morning and an evening routine that that consists of a hodgepodge of different modalities. But within that hodgepodge, I practice some qigong moves, poses, practices, forms, I believe is the right word, that are geared to, in the term, just in the title, qigong. Qi is is in a sense what this energy body that you're speaking of is labeled as. It's just- And that's this, usually spelled QI? QI, exactly, exactly. Uh, so for example, there are, there are practices where I bend down and with my hands uh, scoop, essentially scoop as if I was kind of lifting up a baby, kind of scoop the ground, not touching the ground, and bring that up and over my head and then bring my hands back down and reach back down and scoop the ground and bring it up. And then essentially almost push down above my head, flat down back. And, and you really can feel the tension of that when you're in a very mindful state with this. There are others that you're, you're sweeping your hands out and up and coming down into more of a prayer-like position. Well, we can link some of these forms in the show notes, but they have a profound effect on, in a sense, cleaning, if we're going to stay with the terminology of energy, cleaning the energy that has either felt that has become stagnant when I wake up in the morning, or that it has become very swirled and chaotic at the end of the day. And just without fail, it is, it, brings me back into some sense of alignment that I didn't feel before I did those practices. I have a practice that's maybe more internal. It's interesting. You're talking about the unseen, but still in a way going through air outside your body and mm -hmm. feeling it you know, inside your body and finding it as a way to either compose in the morning or settle in the evening. Mine is in the morning. It's part of a meditation practice that is, I think of it a little bit like the pilot in the plane, testing all the different aspects of the plane, cockpit check, odometer check. And I do that in a sensory way. I do a sensory check-in. So I take a breath and to smell, and I try to smell distinctly whatever is there to smell. I focus my attention on my tongue, what taste is there, either new or remnant. I try to then listen. Can I hear three distinct sounds? And then I do 
a body scan and I start either head to toe or toe to head and I'm just checking in, can I have a brief sense of each toe, then the foot, then the calf, then the thigh, and so on up my body or down my body, elbow, arm, fingers, neck, jaw, each tooth, tongue again, ears again, eyes again, in a just sense of touch sense. It's funny. We think, of course, noses are for smelling, but follow any dog. They can also, or any animal or yourself, just put your nose on the ground. You'll not only smell more, but you'll you'll feel the ground. They are they are another finger. So our ears, so is our chin. Our, our sense of touch is exquisite and extraordinary. Then, however, that is still often, uh, is it there and what is it encountering? I try to look within. And that's this very tentative, very uninformed, for better or for worse, this is almost entirely experiential energy practice. And I try to see if I can feel the same pieces and parts or zones from within. And often that is the hands as a starting point, as I said. But if I'm still in that top-down or bottom-up mode, it could be my eyes. And again, it's not what do I see. It's not what does rubbing my uh, eyelid against something it's not the temperature in the air. It's this, I guess, warmth. It, it just feels like a, a, almost a fiery sphere, almost like a little sun that's there in that socket. And then the other eye, and then those connect, and the forehead down to the jaw, and then can I find it in the front and the back of the neck? Shoulders are often a major stopping point, both for sensation and for that energy. But if I can get it there, it's remarkable in that it's, it's often a great release. And sometimes, often, these little balls, I, I sense them from within. Balls, the best word I can describe it, but obviously it's a feeling, not a shape. And then often I feel them one at a time, but the effort is, can I have them light up at the same time? Can I feel them not just in succession, but simultaneously? And if so, they can connect and I can feel it as this continuous, not ball anymore, but just force or, or flow like a, a fire itself. And if I can get that going head to toe or going up and down, it's a totally different warmth. It's a different awareness. It's a different centering. It doesn't seem to have much to do with the senses. It certainly doesn't have to do with the thoughts. And yet it's, it's very physical and present. Is that something you've experienced or you can articulate or give me any framework to understand mm. that experience that I'm sometimes experiencing and more often reaching for, but I think not even having the words for it, 
it makes me more excited about it because I'm like, well, no one's telling me this. I'm not just buying something <laughs> hmm. that I, I'm reading an article about or someone's having me lie on on a mat and telling me what I should be feeling. So it feels more real in that sense, but also I don't even know what I'm experiencing or what I could experience in this framework as a result. So I'm ready to now to know more. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's an interesting field uh, in neuroscience and certainly as a coach how much more information is available to us if we train our attention towards that. And so the senses and the external world, it, it's the terminology around this is that this is exteroception, the, the outward senses. And then there's proprioception, which is how we're moving our body through space. And then there's interoception, and interoception is paying attention to the symphony that is occurring within our bodies. And when I hear you describe your practice, which is just really beautiful, I was doing it while you were sharing that. And the, the terminology that jumps out at me right now is that you're going from verbal to visceral. Love that. And that transition is like opening a new door. It's unlocking a whole other realm of information and experience that is occurring within our bodies all the time. And so what often happens from a brain perspective is that one of those sensations or pulsations pops its way into our awareness and our brain ascribes some meaning to it. Ooh, I've got this tingling in my leg and all of a sudden our bra the brain wants to make meaning of it using language, this verbal definition of it. But really when we do that, we, we lose uh, a lot of the wisdom of what is occurring within our bodies. And so that visceral practice and as a coach, it's something I'm keenly aware of. So even, even right now, if I'm, if I'm having a conversation with you, and let's just say you're a client of mine, I'm paying attention to your cadence, your breathing. Are you talking really fast and trying to get to the point? Or are you talking slower? And, and th that's all really invaluable information because there's the story we're telling and then there's everything that's leaking out. And when we can have a deeper, more intimate relationship with the symphony that's happening all the time within us, we are more capable of having a, a direct line to the information and not playing, you remember that old game of telephone where I whisper, right. I whisper a secret to you and then it moves along the line and by the time it gets to me, it's just, it's lost in translation. Well, our brain, unfortunately, likes to make predictions and it doesn't spend a lot of time assessing wh what the, the real root or genesis of these pangs or sensations really is. And so we do, we lose a lot of valuable information and a lot of valuable data. There's another practice called yoga nidra. And yoga nidra is essentially a body scan that 
the the research around yoga nidra is pretty incredible. There, again, this is this is the research coming through the neuroscience community, not the new age community, the neuroscience community, where a half hour of yoga nidra is similar to getting four hours of deep sleep. So many high-performing people, and certainly those in in the know in the neuroscience community, swear by this every day, half hour lunchtime. And the practice is simple. It's it's a guided meditation that you just perform on yourself. Your index finger, your middle finger, your ring finger, going through every part of your body. And some practices are even connected to breathing, where you you start the imagery around your the crown of your head and you're breathing. And as you're breathing in, you're you're having this image of that energy moving down to the base of your spine. And then when you're exhaling, that energy moves back up to the crown of your head. And even, this is more a yoga practice, I think through the Indian lineage, but connecting a sound. So the inhale is so, and then the exhale is hum. And by getting lost in that process where you're you're imagining, you're inhaling, you're imagining this energy moving down, and you're in your head thinking of this this sound, so, and then exhaling and and seeing that energy flowing back up towards your crown of your head and saying, hum, in a way what you're doing is you're usurping your thoughts, usurping your brain's insistence on interpreting and labeling. I had two friends in different contexts that gave some advice either directly or indirectly that really reconnected me with this practice and it's sounds a lot along the lines of the yoga nidra and again call it whatever you want folks like mm-hmm. inner body energy body chi you you do have something under your skin. <laughs> mm-hmm. You can believe that much. Intero- interoception. Awareness. Interoception. Yeah. Just can you feel some of what's there? And then what can you do? What can that feeling do for you is, I guess, what we're exploring. So I'll share the two anecdotes. One was this beautiful remark that someone shared, a woman in my meditation group, in the sharing offering a practice. And it was just this open question around the body and the energy. And it was, how good can I let myself feel? (laughs) Hmm. And she said she'd been really exploring it. And the idea is just, your brain stops you at a certain point if you're feeling good and it starts looking out for the evil eye or mm. it gets past the homeostasis point. It wants there to be some big major event, I guess, to feel great, even though that's somewhat artificial too. Everything's relative compared to something else. And she said, you don't have to be stuck at that. You can take the cork off And that's something she's been exploring is just how good can I let myself feel? Not because of anything (laughs) Mm. or by doing anything, but just tapping into feeling. 
how good can I let myself feel? And that framing was so brilliant to me because it was at my discretion and it was a funny, positive discretion. It was, can I stop getting in my own way in the sense of the mind? The second was another friend sharing something from a related group that she's in across the country. And it was just go low. This was the advice. (laughs) And and that just means get out of the head. When you have this experience and the thoughts are rushing, can you go lower? Can you see how it feels in the shoulders? Can you see how it feels in the chest? Can you see how it feels in the stomach? Can you, in fact, just not verbalize? Can you visceralize, (laughs) to use your Mm. verbal versus visual, visceral, language and just feel it. And if I wake up and I am rushing to tell a variety of bemoaning stories from the get-go, I just try to go low as quickly as possible. And just what is, the? can I feel this from within my body? Not to put words on it, but just what's, what is actually happening? In a way, it's more realistic cut off the news reports that I'm getting from my head. Let me go to the scene. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And is there a hollowness? Is there a hot throbbing? Is there a clenching? Is there actually a peace and calm? What's really happening on the streets of Seattle? Well, let's, let's go there. Let's, let's turn off the news and just go down. And these relate to each other, of course, because it is by that practice of just having it as my check-ins, I know where those points of entry to feel what's happening inside my body are so much more readily than I would otherwise. And it is a less, it's just so much less dramatic a story than the one that I'm hearing on the news on my head. So... How good can I let myself feel and go low? Those are, those are beautiful. I love them both. I love the imagery around the newscast and just going to the scene. And it's not in our brain's top interests for us to feel good. It's in our brain's interest to keep us alive but it's not necessarily in its in our brain's interest to have us feel happy and to that there are there are different areas of the brain obviously that do different things and the one that typically gets first crack is the one that's scanning for all the things that could be dangerous could be going wrong and it has its its metaphorical finger on the alarm button, ready to push it. And so what you just did is you created a tiny bit of space to not let the newscaster tell you what the news is, but you went right to the scene. And what by doing that, you're not pressing that button and the alarm isn't going off. And now the way I frame it, I love how low can I go going low 
Another way to see it is to go slow. Because if that button gets pressed, you can imagine like a nuclear facility and then it's all hands on deck, everyone's scrambling around. But if you can slow down and maybe assess whether the button needs to be pressed or not, that allows more of the the forward frontal part of your brain to make an assessment that says, oh, maybe I'll do my body scan. That seems like a good idea right now. So it still was a direction that you gave to yourself, but it came from the part of your brain that is more interested in sussing it out and going to the scene. And then once you set that intention in motion, then the practice can take over. And that practice becomes something, if you do more consistently, that practice ends up being wired in your brain as something you're familiar with. And once you're familiar with it, it doesn't take willpower. And if it doesn't take willpower, you can stay calm and curious. And if you can stay calm and curious, now you're getting somewhere. And the how good can I let myself feel? It's just such a radically different framework from I've got to do enough to be worthy to have this moment of pleasure or I must go to this restaurant and get this meal that is fancy or I got a drink or <laughs> two drugs to chase that high. This source of feeling really good inside of you that is unconnected to what's happening. And I would just flip my own exercise of going low in turmoil and say, also, go low. I've tried this too when I'm feeling ecstatic or at a moment of triumph. And I go to the body and it's also a lot more chill <laughs> mm. than I, I thought. This good news, bad news. In the body, they're not so different even the churn sometimes versus not going low from the news to the site, the scene, but rather just starting on the scene and just saying, how good can I let myself feel? How much pleasure, happiness, satisfaction, these words are, aren't really fitting to what I'm experiencing. I'm having trouble in articulating, which maybe is the point, but Again, just be with yourself. Give yourself a few minutes and like, how good can I let myself feel? Not because of positive talk or storytelling or reframing, just without words, just literally how good can it feel is to me pretty novel and far ranging in its powers too. So I'm wondering if you'd be willing to just do a quick experiment. Yeah. Staying on that, how good can I feel? Can you just intuitively allow that mantra to just stay within your body and without direction and without any expectation, see if you can close your eyes 
ask yourself that question, how good can I allow myself to feel? And without any command, take like 10 seconds and just see if one of your hands moves to a place on your body. Yeah, it's on my my thigh. Each each hand they've squared below my hips. And what feeling arises with your hand on contact with your thighs? Very warm. And I noticed I, one of them actually wanted to go up to touch my heart. It's interesting. And feeling, I guess, a heartbeat, but also seemingly a, a heartbeat. Maybe it is my heartbeat in my thigh as well, my upper outer thigh. And yeah, I'm getting that flow really all the way down to my, my heels now and then radially out from my heart a bit. Hmm. So this is a pretty basic practice to help discover more information. And this is a moment where, presumably a moment where you feel relatively calm, you feel good. And to your point, doing this practice when things are on the up and up is also informative. I would say it's probably something that people attempt more frequently. And certainly in my space, I attempt to gather and glean more information from people when they're telling me stories that are more stressful, painful, anxiety-provoking in nature, to try to identify and add more texture and layers that moves beyond the storyline, the language, the verbal. And so this can be a way to, as I said, get more information, but also get off of the old spot. And one of the things that I think is most striking that we typically lose awareness of and, and lose track of is how fluid we are as a being. Blood and oxygen and movement and rhythm, it, it's constant even when we're sleeping. There's movement within us. The, the earth is moving, seasons, tides, uh, moon cycles, you name it. It's everything is constantly in motion. And yet we do our damnedest to stamp a static label on everything. And, and my theory in a sense is that when we can let go of the identifications, the labels, the language, which is also static in a lot of ways, and the assumptions, and even the things that, that are interesting to us, like genus, phylum, species, and organisms, when we can allow ourselves to let go, even for small amounts of time, and realize that there is this flow, this, fl this fluidity, this movement that is 
ever present and it's consistent and constant that there's a tremendous amount of relief in that. And I think it might have some correlation to when we feel our best, that there is that flowiness. And I study a lot about this conscious state of flow, but that's not necessarily what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about just the, just the miraculous movement that is ongoing and, con- and consistent and constant. And so that hand exercise, finding places and pockets and spaces, in a way, it's almost like the, there's, like, there's an eddy in the river and there's a little bit of a, a spot where it's just not flowing freely. And that, in my judgment, is one of the primary pillars to qigong, to qi in general, to energy. And so maybe there is something that ties together with these concepts. Yeah, I had two striking visuals as you were talking. One, as you were setting me up for the practice, it's like I saw inside my body a bunch of like helium balloons Hmm. (laughs) that were tied down like got them got to keep them wrapped until it's time to say surprise or (laughs) drop the confetti after they win the championship Hmm. and i just realized how much effort is actually being it's not only that this energy is not tapped it's that there's so much energy that's drained to like hold them down and resources to hold them down and i'm sure there's good reasons for that evolutionarily Hmm. but as a practice, again, don't worry, you won't feel great all day. <laughs> just <laughs> let them go and just see how long you can just feel really good for a bit for no reason, just by not holding down all the balloons, by just letting the confetti fall, <laughs> by you know, feeling the shower, not just getting to work. You're like, this is a miracle. There's hot water. That's <laughs> I'm mixing metaphors and literal things. The other was, when you're describing all the movement, you're just so right. And I just realized, gosh, there's just literally fluid, water, blood, and so on. That's inside us. It is gravitational. Yeah, it's connected. And I just did see this, these oceans that how crazy would it be? We spend all this effort to discover scant water on the moon or on Mars. (laughs) And we should, that's amazing. That's life. But there's a lot of water to be discovered. There's oceans inside us. So maybe that's what, what that energy body is too. And if, the, Take, and if the moon can affect the oceans on planet Earth with tidal shifts as much as it does, imagine what it does with all the water that's within us. We started with the sun. We've ended with the moon. Mm-hmm. What closing words on energy body explorations or inquiries would you leave our listeners with? I'm going to come back to a little neuroscience and we spend a lot of time in the visceral. I really love how you are speaking about the balloons and even the sensation as balls. And it reminded me of something that I think is, is a really poignant practice and that actually has something to do with language, where if we can liberate ourselves a bit from falling into the very lazy category of saying, I am you know, mad, sad, 
happy, yeah. stressed. These words take on a very generic meaning and they are static by nature and they don't really have, they don't really describe what's actually going on. So I will encourage our listeners to play around with language a little bit more, get more granular with how you feel. Is it stress or is it irritation? Is it, is it happiness? Is it elation? And also have some fun with it. Play around with some imagery. What are those feelings? They're not just tingles and pangs. Maybe they are, it's cotton candy or it's, it's <laughs> lava or, it, or they're balloons with helium in them. By doing this, we are creating a new calculus for our brain to pay attention to. And, it, and we're making it, we're forcing it to be more engaged with what's really going on. And we're breaking the spell that it's just a simple prediction pattern where it can say, oh, stress? Oh yeah, I know stress. Here, cortisol, let's dump it. What if, what if the word is, it feels like uh, a marching band coming down the street in New Orleans? Play around with some of the imagery. Be creative with what it is that we're feeling inside. I promise you, your brain is paying attention and it just might be enough of a tweak that it, it will shift the calculus and, and potentially be a little more accurate to respond in a way that the stimulus, see what I did there, is actually saying. Love it. I just started salivating. I was thinking of beignets. You took me to New Orleans. So. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what happened after that. I don't even remember what happened before that, but I ended <laughs> with a beignet. It's time to go downstairs, brew the chicory coffee. It's going to be a good day. <laughs> Remind me to send you the picture I have with powdered sugar all over my face and a beignet in my hand. Excellent. Thank you so much. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Maybe you actually know something about this topic that you can add yeah. to our wisdom from experience or beignets from experience. And let us know. In the meantime, try it. Have fun with it. Feel as good as you can and let us know the result. And we'll take the conversation from there next time. And try out the practice of being an expert of in and of you. N equals one. No one knows you better than you. Explore that a little bit and see what comes up. Howl at the moon, smile at the sun. Talk more soon. Ciao. Stimulus and Response is hosted by Damon Valentino and Jeremy N. Smith and produced by Matt Mullins at Black Rooster Productions. Please rate, review, and share the show. And please join us next time for another stimulating exploration of the best parts and best ways of being human and being alive. Thank you.